wounded but not broken. With host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken with your host, Patrick Scroggins. Welcome back to a, another episode of Wounded But Not Broken. Uh, quickly, just want to go over, you know, what we cover here. This is uh, this is a podcast that that I want to share the stories with some of my friends, even people that I don't know of what they've experienced in in combat situations and war and uh, getting injured, the healing process. Also, on the other side of that, I wanna I want to share the stories with people that help wounded soldiers and people that devote their lives to making sure that, you know, the wounded soldiers are taken care of and always and above and beyond never forgotten. And so tonight I really want to, uh, this is a special episode for me. This is a great friend of mine, Matt Amos. I'd like to introduce Matt to everyone and uh, Matt's going to tell his story to us. Yeah, man. How's it going? Good, man. Living the dream. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you and me both, man. You and me both. So, you want me to just go ahead and jump yeah, right so, into it? Yeah. So just you know, I'm just the list. I I mean, I you know, I know your story, but I mean, the listeners are you know, a lot of them are curious as to why we choose or we chose to join the military, or why you chose to join the Marines versus why I chose to join the Army, or you know, vice versa. So yeah, if you would just tell your story from the beginning, uh, you know, of, of what inspired you to join the Marine Corps and and uh, you know your endeavors throughout your your, military, your Marine Corps, you know, history. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so, it, you know, I went to high school in a small town and, uh, you know, you always got the recruiters coming to visit. And uh, for, for whatever reason, um, the Marines always just kind of stuck out to me. And uh, I guess that just kind of stuck with me. I even did the, uh, what is that, the ASVAB? there in high school, you know, and they tested me and said, okay, you know, you can basically do, you know, whatever you want in the Marine Corps. And, uh, but I graduated and went to college for a little bit. That really didn't work out too well for me um, because I was seeing my wife at the time and, and, or she was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she, now she's my wife. Um, and so I spent more time at her college than I did mine. And so it, it really just wasn't a good college situation for me. And so I got out of school, um, went back to uh, working, and I'd done some construction um, stuff and then, you know, furniture delivery type stuff. And um, strange as it sounds, I was, I was making pretty decent money delivering furniture. And uh, But, you know, everything kind of uh, stopped, I guess, you know, I guess backing up a little bit, stopped when September 11th happened. I was in the construction industry and, and, uh, you know, everything just kind of shut down and I uh, got laid off. And uh, so then I went to work for the furniture company, but something was just kind of eating at me. You know, it's like, man, it's kind of it's kind of my time to it's kind of my time to go. And so I just kind of had that that calling, I guess. And so I started going to the different recruiting offices and I went to the Army and I went to the Navy and I went to the Air Force and, and uh, you know, went to the Marines. And it 
still, what if, for whatever reason, it was just the Marines that, that stuck out to me. Um, and so uh, from there, I went to the delayed entry program, paid off all my bills um, while I was in the delayed entry, and then uh, went to boot camp uh, January of 2004, um, and then graduated January, somewhere in April, and then went to School of Infantry out in Camp Pendleton, and and then I uh, got to my first unit, which was 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, um, Alpha Company out in 29 Palms, California. And, uh, oh, I think I was there about 30 days before I was on my first deployment uh, to Iraq. And, uh, you know, that deployment was actually um, fairly calm, uneventful. Um, I believe they just had the elections on that when it was OIF-2. Um, and so, you know, the rule really was Man, that was 2004. So, four. Uh, right at the end of 2004, yeah. right? Yeah, that's yeah, when that we was, were pulling out the first time, or my unit was leaving. Yeah, uh, it, I'm trying to think of when that was, um, because I was there over Christmas and Thanksgiving, Christmas, on into the new year, and then we got back in March of 05. And then um, deployed again at the end of 2005 no no the start of 06 I was I was back there again and the second deployment was uh, a little bit more kinetic um, just there's just a lot more going on we were starting to see IEDs more regularly um, and you know well, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things, you know, it's, it's 99% boredom and 1% just balls to the wall. And that's about the time they really started perfecting IEDs. They, that, they were setting them off, but they were relatively ineffective. But time is when they started getting pretty devastating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they went from just using the basic, you know, anti-tank mines to more complicated, you know, IEDs where, you know, I mean, that first deployment, you know, they had triple stacks and double stacks, and, you know, that's kind of how we, we talked about the IEDs was, you know, it was it a double, single double, a triple stack. And, uh, you know, you get to that second deployment, and it's like, okay, well, is it a, you know, is it a command detonated or is it remote detonated? And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, there, there, were, there were some fun times on that deployment. And then um, we were about 30 days from leaving, and, uh, you know, I was on a patrol, and I just had this, I don't know, there's a, there's a gut feel. There's a couple things that happened a couple of days prior that were just off to me, and they didn't leave the back of my mind. And so uh, we were patrolling back one day, and there's there this car that had parked over by this little building, and they were unloading stuff, and that's just unusual. There's never a car there. Nobody's ever unloading anything into that little building. So we made a patrol down there to actually see you know, what was in the building or what was going on. There was, we didn't find anything. Well, it was a couple of weeks later. Uh, we we're patrolling this little town called Zella, and it's right on the Euphrates River, um, just outside of uh, Al Qaim, um, kind of in between Al Qaim and the Syrian border. And, uh, you know, we're in a standard tactical column and uh, patrolling back to the base. I mean, we're literally. 400 meters maybe from the wire, if that. Um, but there was this elevated field, and as we're walking by, I heard a beep, and then 
the detonation. Then the next thing I know, I'm on the ground. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, I didn't get knocked out, but uh, I just got knocked down. And then I got up, you know, and saw my point man was down. And uh, so, you know, I rushed up to him to try to uh, treat him. And there was, there was nothing that I could do for him. And, uh, but as I'm working on him, because, you know, you're not going to give up, uh, right. the, you know, my, my squad leader was looking at me, goes, he, he was calling Corman up, you know, and, and, uh, I was like, what? I got, you know, I got him, you know? And, and, uh, he's like, dude, half your face is hanging off. And, uh, I was like, what? He says, yeah, half your face is hanging off. So I reached up and, uh, felt it. And yeah, I mean, I had a, a, a pretty good laceration to my face from a piece of shrapnel that, that came across and got me on the, on the right cheek. And, uh, so, uh, it ended up, you know, my point man, um, uh, Jeremy Long did end up, uh, as a KA that day. And, uh, we were both, um, on the, uh, Blackhawk to, um, Alkyme. And there in Alkyme, there's a little field hospital and the surgeon um, was looking at me and he's, I'm laying on the table, you know, and, and, uh, he's just looking at my face and he goes, well, I think I can fix it. <laughs> I was like, uh, do you think or do you know, man? Like, <laughs> and he's like, no, I think I can. I think I can. I can do a pretty good job because if I can't, I'll just I'll, I'll get you on a bird to Germany. And so he goes, but first he goes, I'd, I'd like to take a picture, and uh, if, if you're okay with that. And I was, he goes, because that's a pretty awesome injury. And uh, I was like, all right, uh, only if I get a copy. So you know, they set me up, you know, and I'm flipping the bird and. uh like, all right, fix me up. So uh, I think it was three layers of stitches um, and then the nose, which was the most painful part because uh, my right nostril was separated. And, uh, I mean, he he sewed me up. I mean, it's it's noticeable, but it's not it's not bad at all. Um, he did a really he did a really nice job, but he never did send me that picture. So if that guy is out there and you had a guy that was injured on August 10th, 2001 or 2006 i want that picture but, <laughs> yeah i would too i want that damn picture yep and so uh i i got i had the option to stay there they said do you want to stay here do you want to go to germany um and i was like dude we're literally 30 days from leaving i was like i'd rather just go back with my guys and uh especially you know having lost one of my guys i'd rather just be with my team and so um they said, well, you know, the only problem is, you know, just risk of infection because it's so dirty here and Germany's going to be much cleaner. And I was like, ah, we'll, we'll be fine. So I stayed there um, for 30 days, and then we, we went, we got home, and, um, you know, and I, I think mentally um, that injury was probably harder on me than uh, my subsequent injury in 2011. Um, you know, I didn't realize it for myself at the time, um, because, you know, we, we just do what we, we do, right. Uh, day to day, day to day, but my family, you know, was noticing changes. And so I decided, you know, I talked to my wife and I was like, you know, I, I really would, cause I came I mean, I was getting ready to yeah, yes, but I really wanted to stay in. So. I talked to her. I was like, hey, uh, what do you think? I'd like to re-enlist. And I go, I tried, I'll try. i try for you to get a non-deployable billet um, for as long as I can. 
before I have to go back to the fleet and, and do fleet things. And she was like, whatever you do, I support you 100%. I said, that's all I needed to know. And so I, uh, I re-enlisted and um, took orders to 24th Marines um, as an inspector instructor. And so what I did there was I basically just stood up uh, a training program, kind of like an S3 shop. I don't know if the Army has similar, um, but that's kind of like your training and ops section. Yeah, and, that's uh, the operations. They yeah, they run yeah the S3 shop. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yep. Yeah. So I just basically um, set up all the training and stuff for headquarters company 24th Marines, which you know annual rifle qual, um, PFT, CFT, which they have now, and and uh, doing all that. Met some incredible people. Completely changed my view of reservists 100 percent because it was so nice to to have people that were actually so motivated to be there, whereas, you know, your day-to-day Marines just like, man, this sucks, you know, and everything's just down all the time, you know, man, this is BS, why are we doing this, why are we doing that, and these guys show up, and we're like, let's go, no questions, let's let's go, let's do this, let's do that, and it was so much fun, and, you know, the, I found that the reservists were just a, a little bit more responsible <laughs> than than your, your typical fleet <laughs> Marine, um, there, there weren't as many... DUIs, there weren't as many uh, bar fights and all of that that you had to deal with. But uh, um, and they were just a really great crew, and I got a lot of uh, knowledge that I that I use now, you know, with spreadsheets and and everything else. And I learned all of that at 24th Marines, and so that was a really good uh, break for me. Um, but even while I was there, you know, I still um, I was always a pretty good Marine, um, you know, and and well behaved. Uh, but there were some times there at 24th Marines because there was a bar called the K Bar right down the street, and so I, you know, I'd end up there at night, and uh, just got to the point where I, I realized, you know, you know, I'm doing this a little bit too much, and so, um, you know, cut way back on that, um, and just kind of worked through some of those some of those issues, and I, and again, I didn't realize them, um, right? You know, it right. wasn't until so you're they, talking, you, you're, you know. You're talking about issues that you had from the from that last appointment with your point man uh, getting killed, correct? Yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah, and so you know, it, and it's just stuff that I didn't even realize that I was doing, and so um, you know, those got pointed out to me, and it's like, oh man, I'm I'm jacked up. I need to fix myself, and so um, I, I started working on that, and I still have some of those issues to this day, but um, they're definitely not like they were, um, you know, to the point where. I was just very easily irritated. I had a very low threshold for BS. And that was from in my command at 1-7. When I was on my way out, they gave me a lot of grace. 24th Marines gave me a lot of grace. Because <laughs> uh, I had, I, I mean, I had a, I had a captain um, that was at this K-Bar, which is civilian run. It's not a, um, it's not a DOD facility. And so, right. um, you know, I'd go in there and my sergeant major would be in there, or my master sergeant or whoever, you know, we'd all just be kind of chilling, drinking together. Well, they weren't there this night and some Yahoo came in from somewhere else and was telling me to take my hat off. And I, again, my low tolerance, uh, he brought up that he was a captain and I was like, well, we're not in uniform, so I really don't, for putting it nicely, I don't give a crap who you are. And uh, so that, that sergeant stuff, and then he called my... Uh, uh, he called my captain the next day, <laughs> and, 
So I was like, all right, man. And my captain was like, hey, it's good, man. Uh, he didn't know what he was talking about. You're good. And so, you know, just little things like that that were that were just a lot of grace from commands that I probably could have been buried for. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah, and I, I think I think at some point we all have, have been there, especially seeing what you've seen and what we've seen and what we were called on to do. You know, you're going to have some issues, and and it's going to affect you, and it affects people differently. And, and if, you know, some it affects tremendously, and some people are able to deal with it. But at the end of the day, you know, some people can realize it like it seems like you did, and, and you just – you can you can move on from it, but uh, we're going to break here real quick, and okay. we're going to get a word from our sponsors. Uh, don't go away, and we'll be right back, and we're going to get to the second part of Matt's story. You're listening to Wounded but Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again. 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. VBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Hello everybody and welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken. We're here with Matt Amos and he was talking about uh, uh, his first two deployments and on his second deployment, you know, he suffered his... uh, first injury and, and uh, had one of his soldiers lose his life and it, he was talking about how that affected him and and uh, you know that's it's such a difficult thing to talk about for one it's another it's, it's a difficult thing to live with and we all um, 
all, all the combat soldiers that were deployed, you know, had faced it one way or another. And that's, it's very important that stories get told and the different techniques of, of how to, you know, accomplish getting better, uh, whether you seek help or whether you find another way to do it within yourself or, or what, and that's, that's, that's super important and it's going to help a lot of people. And, uh, you know, the best, the biggest thing is, is it's, you know, you got to learn how to talk about it and you got to learn how to get it off and get it out because you keep all that stuff bottled up, but it just becomes worse. But I'm going to let Matt continue on with his story and, uh, and let's learn some. Uh, yeah, learn not to make the same mistakes. Uh, but that, uh, but that command, you know, and I, I really, you know, during the break, that's kind of what I was thinking about, you know, and I, I really think that those guys just give me grace and not, not bearing me, um, Really, for me, because I think they knew that, hey, this isn't him, because they knew me on a day-to-day basis, and it would just be random things every now and again where I would just blow up at people. And so, you know, I, I got through that, and 18, I, I was there for 18 months at 24th, um, and I, I neglected to mention that my, my first child was born um, right before I left for that second deployment. So I, I basically had 30 days with her before I was off to Iraq. And then I come back, you know, and now I've got a, you know, basically an eight month old baby girl, you know? And so, um, and that just, I think that also added to the, um, to the stress, um, as well. And, right. you know, one wanting to be that guy to fix myself because of, of course I want to be there for my kids. And so, um, I really kind of to start really drawing it down with, anything alcohol at that point. And um, so then, um, you know, got my orders to 1st Battalion, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. Um, they're in uh, Camp Pendleton. In 2009 or early 2000, I think I got them in 2009 to report um, 2010. And so um, I got there, I believe it was probably July, I think, somewhere in there. And, um, Got put got put with uh, first platoon, and um, it was a it was a lot different than it was with one seven being back in the fleet. And um, because at this time now I'm a sergeant, um, and I'm going to be in control of everything, and and uh, that's a lot of responsibility. But uh, so they say, okay, hey, you're going to be uh, first platoon, uh, first squad alpha, alpha company. I was like. Roger that. So I started meeting my guys, and then the, the very first day that I'm there, hey, you got uh, you got one of your guys that just got dropped out of uh, infantry squad leaders course. So you need to go figure out why he failed and blah blah blah. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's like all right, you yeah. fire, you just get thro- you get thrown right into it. <laughs> yeah, that's when everybody else's problem becomes yours. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so that was my that was my first uh, official business as a, as a squad leader was to go find out why this guy was jacked up, and uh, you know come to find out it, it really wasn't his fault at all. They were trying to put a lance corporal through a, a, a sergeant level course, and so um, that's why you know I don't want to be that guy just starting out. And so um, and it turns out he was one of my he was one of my best marines, and um, so. Uh, you know, I got to train for almost a year um, with those guys, which was an absolute luxury. Um, and, you know, we knew each other really well. You've had another guy on here before, Anthony Marquez. Uh, he was my uh, he was my dog handler. 
and um, a great guy. And, uh, you know, we just had a really, really good, um, good fitting squad and trained up and got deployed to, uh, or knew that we were going to Sangin, um, Afghanistan, which at the time was, you know, one of the most dangerous places or was the most dangerous place in Afghanistan. And, uh, we, you know, we were getting intel reports about the different types of IEDs they were using. And I want to say that, um, three five had something like 216 casualties or something like that and some of these guys were coming back and they would give us intel like hey this is what it's like this is what you need to look for you know and so you're just like man where are we going and uh yeah you know like it it didn't it didn't set a good tone at all and uh but you know but you train to those um uh um, i forget the kind of that you train to that intel that they're bringing back and so uh, that's what we did almost daily. You know, we'd, we'd set up courses in the what we call the backyard, which is basically just kind of the um, the mountains and hills and, and trails behind the uh, behind the barracks, and, and we just run little courses and try to spot things that were not supposed to be there. And and uh, you know, we we got pretty pretty good at it. And uh, but you know, you just, you just don't know what you're, what you're going into until you're actually there. So I, I even told my wife, I was like, you know, I know that I don't talk to you about a lot of work stuff because my, my, my whole thing was when I come home, the uniform comes off and that guy stays at work. And, uh, so, because it's a completely different person. <laughs> and so, I was like, all right. Yeah. yeah I, you, know, you, you can't, you can't raise a family as a squad leader. You know, you've got to be dad. Uh, you know, or or a husband, right? And uh, so, right. I mean, well, essentially, you have two families, right? I mean, you got you got your yeah. family, your brothers that you're that you're trying to train and get right, so you don't you know, so you don't have to write letters home, and then you got your family at home that needs you the, you know, the, the sentimental match, right? Yeah, if you will. Yeah, which I mean, he doesn't even. My wife would say that he doesn't even exist, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So. um you know, and I told her, I was like, you know, uh, where we're going, it's not a good place. And so um, I was like, I I don't know. <laughs> there's a there's a high chance that I'm coming home missing something. And, uh, you know, she kind of was taken aback a little bit for it, you know, by it. But I was just like, you know, I just want you to be prepared uh, because where we're going is not good. And so, you know, we get there and, I mean, right out of the gate, our, you know, um, if I, if I said right seat, left seat, you know what I'm talking – you know what I'm talking about as a pilot. Um, right. But, you know, when we're changing over with the unit, we call it left seat, right seat. And, you know, they're taking you out on patrols and kind of showing you the area. And, I mean, this is yeah, our sure, first sure. – this, this, the overall going over everything, showing you choke points, showing you the real high activity points where you're most likely to get attacked, just to quickly go over it with the, with the audience. But yeah, they're just yeah. they're showing you yep. everything that you need to know to be successful in operating in that area of operation. Yep, and and so you know we take out some of our key guys, and and then they would bring their key guys, and then we'd all go on patrol together. And so they they'd show us these spots, and here's what you need to look for. And and uh, I can't remember whether whether I think it was the very first one that we did. Um, we took a, a double a double AK on that one. Um, IED went off inside of a house, and and. Uh, you know, he lost. He was an engineer, um, uh, minesweeper, and and 
you know, ended up losing both of his legs. So I was like, oh, here we go. I was like, you know, crap. And so, right. um, and we just, I mean, and it, it was just kind of like that the whole time. I mean, there really wasn't too much from a, uh, a firefight perspective at all. Um, you know, it was mainly you're just navigating a minefield is, is really all you're doing and trying to find those guys and kill them. And uh, so uh, we, you know, we were there and for about oh, March. So I was there for about three months, and uh, I, uh, due to some other circumstances, I'd taken over another squad. So I was running mobile patrols and running um, foot patrols at the same time. Uh, so running two different squads and uh, come off of a mobile um, stand down. I, I took all the equipment up because I was like, man, this stuff is a tr- is trash. I was like, we need to go have like a like a safety stand down and go get all of this stuff fixed. And so we spent, I think it was a couple of days um, at Nole getting some vehicles, uh, maintenance stuff and all that, and come back. And my lieutenant was like, hey, man, uh, I need you to go out on an overnighter. I'm like, sweet, let's do it. And so briefly uh, ordered to my guys, what we're doing is we're going to go down to this area, set up kind of an overnight thing, and, and go find uh, go find a bad guy. Yeah. Hey, Matt, I'm going to stop you right there real quick. We're going to take another uh, another break here and hear a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, you're going to hear the, the climax of this story. I, I've heard it, and I know it. And, uh, you know, Matt's got an inspiring story, and he's going to tell the rest of it when we come back. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. CBN Veterans Broadcast Network brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.
Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I'm just going to let Matt jump right back into his story. He was on a roll there, and I had to cut him off. So, Matt, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. I appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, my lieutenant was like, hey, man, you need to go out on overnight patrol. There's a guy that's been putting in IEDs in this area. We need you to find him and, and take him out. And I was like, all right. And they're like, okay, here's all your attachments. And I'm like, um, we're going on an overnight patrol, right? <laughs> so I had, I don't know how many I had. I had like 26 people. And I was like, we're not getting anything done tonight, but we're going to go out and we're going to give it a shot. And so um, I get out of the wire and, you know, some guy at the back of the patrol, all of a sudden this guy on a motorcycle, he's got an AK and he's got a handgun. And I'm working with the Afghan counterparts that are trying to work through a translator that are trying to work through my guys and me. And I was like, all right, you know, we get all that settled. He was actually an informant, um, so he was perfectly fine to, to do whatever. And uh, I was like, all right, let's keep pushing. And so we come to this alleyway, and I send my clear team through, um, so I, my minesweeper, and then, I, you know, I set up security on the other side so we can just kind of filter through um, with security on the other side. And, and uh, uh, so there were, I believe, three people on the other side, um, and I start my walk through the alley, and uh, I must have turned around to, you know, motion of the guy behind me, hey, get ready to start going. Um, but I, it, as I remember, I was coming towards the end of the alley, and I just I felt a uh, I felt the ground go soft beneath me, and then the explosion, and uh, it, you know, it launched me uh, ten feet in the air, and you know. When stuff like that happens, you know, just just like you know, with with your experience, everything kind of just goes into slow motion, and you, your your mind's running a million miles a second, but you're you know I'm up in the air, and now that I'm this high in the air, I can actually see down into the compound um, beside me on both sides of the alley, and so my first thing went to well, it wasn't command detonated because <laughs> I don't see anybody, and so. Um, but that's where my mind went right. It was. It should have been that my foot went soft and it was a pressure plate. But uh, so, you know, I land and and uh, uh, I could see that the guy in front of me, you know, he had been knocked down. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm asking, "Are you all right? Are you all right?" And he goes, "I'm, I'm fine. My, you know, my my head just hurts." And I'm like, "I'm hit." And uh, so I start trying to put tourniquets on myself, and uh, you know it well. Your fine motor skills just go away. And uh, so trying to get the tourniquets on, didn't, wasn't doing a very good job, um, and was telling my guys, hey, make sure you sweep up to me slow, because, um, you know, I don't need you to kill me, and I don't want you getting hurt, so, um, you know, they get up to me and, and start uh, uh, working on me, Doc comes up, uh, Doc Dove, um, and uh, he, so I, I was basically, um, my feet were still attached, but they were just dangling there, and I couldn't I couldn't feel anything basically below my waist. I was just dragging my legs around, and uh, so he comes up, and on my left side, my my left knee had been dislocated, and so he's like, "Well, we need a splint. What are we going to use for a splint?" And so he's like yelling at the engineer to come down, and he like breaks the minesweeper and uses the minesweeper as a hasty splint on my leg, which is actually a technique that they now teach at the uh, school that all the corpsmen go to. Um, and just incredible quick thinking on his part. And then, um, you know, getting the tourniquets established well. 
um, you know, then the, you started an IV on me, and then they put me on a, uh, a litter or a stretcher and, you know, carry me out to the road. Because, um, I mean, at this point, I don't even think with all the people that I had my patrol, I don't even think my last man was out of the wire. And so um, they trucks from the the uh, mobile company or mobile platoon um, were close, and so they came up, they loaded me on a truck, and they took me and drove me out to the helo pad. And uh, at some point uh, during that transition, my IV had come out, and my veins had collapsed, and so they needed to establish a new one. Well, the only way to do that is with an IO, which is an interosseous IV. So basically interosseous means through the bone or into the bone. And uh, so Doc is, and I've seen this in action because we had to train with it before we left, and it's basically this ugly needle with 60, well, I think it's like 64 needles with one big needle in the middle. And they just kind of position it on the center of your sternum, and then they go directly into, you know, they punch through your sternum and put that IV directly into your heart. And uh, he's like, oh, we gotta, we got to do this. We gotta, we, Doc, if you stick me with that, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, man, I'm sorry, we got to do it, we got to do it. And I mean, he punched it through, and I was like, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. He goes, well, it's going to get bad. He goes, <laughs> it seems like somebody holding him down. And then they, when they flushed the line and all that bone and everything went through, that was the painful part. And uh, up until that point, that was the most painful thing that I, I'd experienced, um, you know, because the, the blast really didn't hurt that much. Um, you know, it just felt like somebody had – you know, when you smash your thumb with a hammer and there's just that throbbing pain, that's what I was feeling, um, you know, on my legs. But that was really yeah, right. it. Yeah, so much and, adrenaline uh, and, and just shock, yeah. you know, it just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, a lot of people ask, you know, were you conscious the whole time? I was like, yes, I was conscious the whole time. Um, and they put me on the bird, and, uh, you know, and I credit that doc um, – uh, was basically, I mean, he, he saved my life right there as well by getting that IV established. And uh, I saw him later on, and he was he was really standoffish for about six months. And he finally, I was like, you know, I'm not really going to kill you right now. Like, oh, good, good, good. <laughs> he was still worried about that needle. <laughs> yes, yeah, he was. He was because I was very adamant. Like I looked at him directly, and I, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so, we we got through that, loving to death, and. Uh, they loaded me on the bird, and the uh, the last thing I remember it was a uh, it was a British bird, um, it was a forty six, and they loaded me on and said uh, we got you, mate, and that's the last thing I remember um, until I woke up in. Uh, they woke me up in Germany once because one of my guys was there from a previous ID. He had a, a pretty bad concussion, so they were checking him out. They woke me up to see him. That was good, um, and then. Uh, took me back to the, the States where I started my uh, recovery. Um, got to Bethesda finally, or uh, Walter Reed, and uh, did all my major yeah. surgeries there. And Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just quickly, just say, you know, the state your injuries. I don't know that we, we established that. So exactly what, what was hurt in that blast? Yeah, so, like, uh, I didn't I didn't know until I got to Bethesda or Walter Reed and uh, they, they would wake me up occasionally and say, Hey, you know, this is what we're doing. And then I woke up this next time and, and they were like, Hey, um, we're going to go in, we're going to try to save your right knee. But uh, you know, with that fungus, uh, cause I'd, I'd had fungus in both sides 
And they said, with that fungus, we don't know if we're going to be able to save it. And I was like, oh, whatever. Huh? It's so high on drugs. I don't care. Just sign on the X. Let's do it. And, uh, you know, woke up and uh, was missing my right knee. So I ended up uh, being above the knee on my right side and very, very short. I almost lost my knee on the left, but uh, thankfully they were able to get ahead of that uh, fungus on that side. Um, but that's when I started finding everything out. It was like, hey, um, you know, you had a fractured uh, hip at the SI joint, um, fractured femur. Uh, you know, your right knee was dislocated. Um, you know, I can't remember what grade of TBI I had at that time. but um, And so uh, that's where I was at. And, uh, you know, look at, looking back, you know, for me, this one was a whole lot easier for me than that first one. And um, because it was just me, there was nobody else that was hurt. It was just me. I knew what I was getting into. I told my wife, this could be a possibility. And so I felt really good about where I was, you know, and when I was laying on the ground there um, before they got to me, you know, I was just like, man, I was like, Lord, if this is my time, it's my time. If it's not, show me what I need to do and, uh, or show me what you want from me. And so, that was really just kind of in my mind um, when I was in the hospital. It's like, well, I'm here. I'm here for a reason. What is it? And uh, there were so many people that were there to to help. There were so many groups, so many organizations that, that you know, just said, hey, we're here for you. Um, you know, the, the Fisher House put my family up, put my wife, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, my mom, my dad, put them in the Fisher house. They could come visit me. Um, you know, simplify fund, uh, paid my mom's salary from work so that she could take work off and not worry about missing a paycheck and took care of her financially while she was coming to visit me. Um, and of, of course, you know, paying for the flights for my family to get out to Walter Reed and all that kind of stuff. And right. just, just amazing. Right. I mean, and, and, I would never have expected that. And so uh, I did all my major surgeries down there at uh, Walter Reed, and then um, we were I was stationed in Pendleton, so I wanted to go back to San Diego because that's where my family was. I didn't want to move them cross-country. And so they moved me to um, Balboa and actually gave me a, a home. So we, we did a little move from Pendleton to San Diego, and uh, – they got me this little ADA home um, that, that we lived in while I went through um, about two years of uh, physical therapy and recovery. And it was there, um, you know, because I spent about four months inpatient, um, and I had an X-fix on my hip because, you know, I couldn't move or do anything. And then uh, so just sitting there, you know, all you got to do is time to think. I was like, well, what am I going to do? Well, obviously I'm going to retire. Um but what is it that I that I want to do? And the one thing that I kept thinking was, man, I want to hunt. You know, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I but I'm going to hunt. And you know, I I've been out of the hospital for two months, and then uh, this guy named Ron Rabu came to the hospital and did a presentation for Wounded Warrior Outdoors, and I go, that's how I'm going to hunt. And uh, so I, I listened to his presentation; it was awesome. Um, you know, went on a uh, bear hunt with him um, back in 2012. So right at nine months after my injury, um, I was hunting, and um, which was insane to me. 
and ended up taking a, a bear on that hunt. And I'd had prosthetics at the time, but I'd only had them for like two weeks before I went on this trip. And there's a bear. We'd missed our first chance because he had to get the wheelchair out of the truck and put me in the wheelchair and kind of wheel me around. And, and by the time we got around this little bend, the bear was gone. So we get this second opportunity, this bear's in the field, and Ron comes back to me and goes, hey, um, there, this bear is in a very suitable position, but you're going to have to walk 100 yards to this boulder uh, to get the shot. Do you think you can make it? And at that point in time, I wasn't thinking about how uncomfortable my prosthetics were. I wasn't thinking about um, the, the pain, anything. It was like my only mission was to get to that bear. Yeah, hey, Matt, we're going to break real quick for one last message from our sponsors, and stay tuned, and when we come back, we're going to find out if Matt walked that 100 yards and got that bear. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again. 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. CBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Hello everybody, welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken. We're all in suspense here, so I'm going to let Matt go on with his bear hunt and uh, let's find out if he got it. 
so yeah, so he uh he's like, you know, you've gotta you've gotta make it to this boulder. And I mean I I mean I hadn't walking on anything but parallel bars, um, really, uh since I got into prosthetics and but I wasn't thinking about any of that. I mean I got out and of course I had a couple of canes and I mean I I walked and I, I mean I felt like I was running uh to that boulder and uh I got the shot and, and eventually got the bear. And, uh, you know, for me, um, that really just refocused, uh, it, it really refocused me. Um, and it, and it's like, okay, I can do this. And so, um, it, it, it's hard to put into words what that did for me really, you know? Um, and so I really just wanted to, um, the impact that that had on me, I was like, man, I really want to do something to give back, um, and make sure that other people have this opportunity. And so I went to Ron and I asked him, I was like, Hey, do you need any help? And he's like, no, 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 we're good. You know? And, uh, cause his big thing is he never wants to feel like he's putting warriors on display. And, um, that was, uh, his, his big goal was, man, you know, we don't, we don't have news crews. We don't have any of that stuff. You know, it's just the warrior and their recovery. And, um, I was like, man, I'm telling you, you're not putting on display. I want to help. And so he finally gave in and started letting me um, volunteer and, you know, go to sheep show and, and, you know, work the booth and talk to people and just let them know um, what WWO is all about. And, uh, uh, you know, and then that, that forced me, um, you know, when I got back home, I was like, man, I really, cause I still walking with canes, you know, and I was like, man, there's gotta be something better. Cause I see guys like you and I see guys like, um, uh, well, I'm trying to think of his name off the top of my head. I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. Um, but walking around and then I'd watch YouTube videos of these guys who were just way out of shape. And I was like, back then, I, you know, you can't tell now, but I was in really good shape. And, uh, back then, and I couldn't do what, what you could do. I couldn't do what these guys could do. And I was like, you know, I started to get into that thing. Well, maybe it's me. And, um, then I found the right process and found out that it wasn't me. It was the prosthetics that I had. And so then that jump started, uh, my recovery even further. And, or, or took my recovery even further and just allowed me to do more. Um, you know, I, w- I was feeling so good that uh, I actually went to work um, for uh, that prosthetist, uh, Steve Peoples, um, uh, Peoples Prosthetics in, uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and, uh, you know, just started reaching out to people locally that, you know, were in a motorcycle accident or car accident and just said, hey, man, it's not over. Like there's some, the the whole world is there available to you. Uh, You just have to decide to do it. And, you know, I was like, you know, stop the pity party because that's not going to get you anywhere. Like I've, I've I've been down this road. I know what it's like. I know where you're at, but trust me, it it only gets better from here. And so, um, you know, just wanted to impart those words, words of wisdom on people. And so that's just kind of what, what my recovery has been, um, uh, circled around is just kind of uh, motivating others uh, because, you know, I've been there and it, but it wasn't my, uh, it wasn't losing my legs that brought me to that point. Really. It, it was the getting through that first, um, you know, um, that first injury and, and losing a guy and, and having been there. And, you know, during that time, it was just my Marine buddies that really looked out for me. You know, the, the civilian world, because it, you know, it wasn't dramatic enough for really um, them to reach out and care anything about, you know, because no organizations reached out to me the first time. But when I lost my legs, right. you know, everybody reached out. And so 
those organizations, you know, if, if you're wounded or, or have been wounded, uh, you know, and you, you consider yourself, you know, a paper cut or, um, you know, I didn't get as badly wounded as someone else, seek those organizations out because they are definitely there for you. They are there to help. Um, but there's just so many that, that they they can't reach everyone, and so they, they focus on the, the more seriously injured. But those organizations are there for everybody, and I, I, I can't say enough. Reach out to those and, and take advantage of those um, because they're there for you, and that's going to do so much for your recovery, um, especially, and, and, you know, part of your story, Pat, um, you know, when you said, you know, the, you know, you really, you were down and, and you were feeling sorry for yourself until you saw that first burn victim. And mine, you know, it, it's very similar because, you know, I, I'd see quadruple amputees or I'd see triple amputees. It's like, okay, we're good, man. Like, I, I, can, I can do whatever. If, they, if they're going through that and they have such a good attitude, then so can I. And so there's no reason for me to be down. And... I really haven't had any down days um, since then. And so I'm just, you know, very, very thankful to those organizations, uh, you know, namely WWO, um, Wounded Warrior Outdoors, for um, getting in there at that at that, at that that perfect time um, to set me up for, for where I'm at today. I mean, they really are the ones that, that set, my, set my path for my future. Right. And, you know, Wounded Warrior, Wounded Warrior Outdoors, I mean, nobody, anybody that's ever been affiliated with them and Ron, you can't say anything negative. It is the absolute one of the, I mean, some of the best times I've had since I've gotten injured was with WWO. And subsequently that's how you and I met. We, and it's such a great networking thing and you get, and that's what it, and that's what it's about. It's about getting guys together that have lived some of the same, uh, you know, situations in their lives that are having trouble and do this. And, you know, people that have been through it are there and they've, you know, they've overcame a lot of stuff. And so it's, you know, it's so therapeutic to put them around other soldiers that have, have been there and done that because it's kind of a, it's kind of like a fraternity that we have. We can we talk to each other a certain way, and, and nobody else can really talk to us like we talk to each other, right? And so, yeah. and nobody is going to push us as hard as we do, and that's that's why them the the organizations like that are so so important. Exactly, exactly, because we don't give each other any slack. You know, and <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> at all, there's zero, right? And, right? and you know, but you go out into the public, you know, and and there's a distinct difference between when I was traveling in a wheelchair and when I'm walking on legs. There's a lot less sympathy for a guy walking on legs than a guy in a wheelchair, and you know, the the, the public just just sees it that way. And but here we are, you know, if you're not pulling your weight when you're walking on prosthetics, even though you're doing better than some other guys who just, you know, don't have the will or desire uh, to walk, you know, we're giving each other crap like, hey, you know, why are, why are you walking like that or why are you walking like this, you know, and get better, do better, you know. <laughs> go, yeah. You would be go work out, you know. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but, you know, it's, it, but it's just that, that fraternity that, that, that those types of organizations um, foster that, uh, are just are so good for people, and it, I just I can't say enough about WWO because it, it really did uh, change my life. I mean, you know, it um, the just from the you know business leadership that that you know from the business mind that Ron has, and you know just kind of feeding off him as a as a mentor, um, you know, has has been incredible for me, and I I just I I can't thank that organization enough. Um, and another organization that I uh, 
failed to mention that basically has allowed me um, the freedom to do everything that I do. Uh, it was homes for our troops because, you know, they built me a home um, uh, mortgage-free uh, that my family and I live in, and, and we don't have to worry about a mortgage payment or anything like that. And so that really eased my mind about, hey, it's fully accessible for me. Um, it's exactly what I need. It's great for my family. And, you know, I'm able to volunteer and, and do that stuff with WWO um, because of them. So right. it's just, a, it's yeah, just such it, a good network of, of organizations. It is, and it's such a – it's such a it, you just can't say enough about it. it. It's such a great thing that, you know, there's people out there that are selfless enough to do that. And, you know, Ron, you, you've said Ron a few times. That, that man is the one of mo- the most selfless men on the planet. He'd probably be mad right now if we were if he heard we were giving him praise. He, do, he didn't want it. <laughs> he would be. Yeah, yeah he would be. You know, be. I mean, he, he, doesn't, would be. he doesn't want it. He just – he wants to – do his thing. He wants to help. And that's his way of doing it. It's therapeutic for him. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just such an important thing for, for wounded soldiers to go through. And, uh, you can't say enough about them organizations. I, you know, I, uh, you, that, maybe that's a whole nother segment. You and I get on here and we talk about, and we list, you know, that list of uh, why they're so important. Maybe we do that in the future. I think that'd be a, I'd love to show. There's, yeah, it, it's definitely you know not something that we can cover in in, in this episode at all. I mean, just because it, no. no, you know, and and those, those people that that do give selflessly and do things selflessly, just you know, like Ron, um, and the people that give to Homes for Our Troops and Simplify Fund and and you know all those organizations. I mean, I definitely I don't know where I would be without those organizations, and and so. How can I and, – and that, again, that just circles back, not to quote a certain speaker, um, but, you know, coming back around to uh, basically everything I do is, is just to live up to trying to be worthy of being given all of that because um, I definitely don't think, it, you know, my injury was anything special. You know, um, I was just in, in, a, in a bad place at the right time, and – I volunteered for that. I willingly went. I knew it was likely to happen. And so, but these people take it and say, hey, no, we're going to take care of you because you did that. And and that means the world to me. And so if there's people out there that are going to support me like that, what do I need to do to live up um, that they think of me? Because Absolutely I don't think right. That, That's, you you, you know, hit the nail on that. You couldn't have said it better. Yeah, because I don't think that I'm that guy, right? I'm nobody special. Um, but they they went out of their way to to do something for me, and so how do I how do I give that back? What what can I do to live up to that? And so that's just kind of where my my life is at, at this point. And I can say that um, I'm a happier person for it. I'm definitely not the angry guy from uh, 2006 that uh, you know would would fight at the drop of a hat. You know, that's um, debatable. I'm much calmer. <laughs> well, I'm not. I might argue. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. I might argue, but we, I'm not we've, a, had, I'm not a, we've had some good times. We we have had some good times. And, uh, you know, I look forward to more good times, especially, you know, I mean, even being on this podcast, I've, I've had a lot of fun. and These segments seem to get shorter and shorter <laughs> every one we get. Yeah, it flies by, man. But, yeah, it uh, flies by. But, uh, so, you know, if you if, – if, if people are out there listening and you got young guys out there listening of, of – 
you know, a good, really good piece of advice that you would, you would want to give them. If you could say, if you could sum it up in like a minute, what would it be? Oh man. Um, I think the biggest thing is to start thinking about your yourself less and start thinking about others more. Um, because for me, that has solved all the problems. Uh, I notice when I start to go, what you know, the Marines call it going internal. Um, you know, on on a battlefield, it's bad for everybody. Um, and in life, going internal is bad for, for you and, and everybody around you because the only person you're thinking of is yourself. And so when you start thinking about other people, and I notice when I start getting in those in those moods, it's like, hey, man, I'm like, you know, what about, you know, what about this? What about this? And I'm thinking about me. What can I do to help somebody else in magically, just like a, the snap of a finger, life gets better. And so that would be my advice is to, you know, think about yourself less and think about others more. That's a good piece of advice. Really good piece of advice. And I, I you know, for all the listeners, Matt, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight. And I think uh, I'll give you a call in the next couple of days. We, we should really lock that next episode down or in the future of, of getting on here and let's give for some sure. of these nonprofits praise that don't, that don't get it. But, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and taking an hour out of your evening to uh, to be with us and and tell your story. I know there's a lot more to it, and uh, you know maybe we can hit that on the next time. But uh, I really appreciate it, and I can't thank you enough. Yeah, and I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. For the listeners out there, um, if you followed the podcast from day one until now, I think there's one very important message that you should take away from them. It's that everyone of the gentlemen that I've had on here that have told their stories that have been in the lowest of lows in their lives and had some of the most horrendous things happen to them. Every single one of them wakes up every day and asks themselves, what can I do to make others' lives easier, others' lives better? And I think that's a very important message uh, that I want to make sure that gets portrayed because these are some of the most selfless men on the face of the earth that were willing to give up everything for us and they're continuing to do it just in different ways. So I want to thank you for listening tonight. Such a powerful episode for me. Matt is a great friend of mine. And uh, I hope you tune in next week. And we're going to have another exciting show for you. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again. 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985. 
serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. TBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible.